Hi, my name's Josh, and I'm so glad that you're joining us on our Grace Church podcast. At Grace Church, we are all about knowing God and reflecting His way. I hope this sermon will do just that, by feeding your mind with the knowledge of God and engaging your heart to live a life reflecting His grace and truth. Today's sermon is the first in a series of three sermons about gospel freedom. I want to start us off by telling you an African fairy tale. I'll have to abbreviate it a little for the sake of time, but if you'd like to read the whole thing, you can find it in the beautifully illustrated book, Mufaro's Beautiful Daughters by John Steptoe. Anyway, here's the quick version of the story. Mufaro was a farmer who lived in a village about a day's walk through the forest from the city of a great king. Mufaro had two daughters, Nyasha and Manyara. Nyasha was not only beautiful on the outside, but her character was beautiful as well. She was kind, generous, considerate, hardworking. She even had her own garden plot she cultivated, and she was the sort of person who, when she found a small snake living in her garden, nicknamed it Nyoka, which means snake, and would talk to it while she gardened, encouraging it to keep away the pests. Needless to say, everyone loved Nyasha. This made Manyara, her sister, jealous. Whenever their father wasn't around, Manyara would say and do whatever she could to upset her sister. One of her favorite things to say was, someday I will be a great queen and you will be a servant in my household. Then everyone will see. Well, one day, a messenger arrived from the city on the other side of the forest. He announced that the king was looking for a queen and that all the beautiful young women of the land were commanded to come to the palace so that the king could choose his bride from among them. Mufaro was overjoyed, saying that only a king could decide between two such beautiful and worthy daughters. That night, the village had a celebration in preparation for their journey the next day. But while everyone was busy partying, Manyara slipped out into the night, determined to meet the king before he ever saw her sister. As she went through the forest, she met three people. First, she met a little boy who begged her to share her food. But she said, don't you know who I am? I will be your queen. I need this food far more than you do. Later, she met an old woman who gave her advice about the journey. But Manyara said, who do you think you are to advise me? I'm going to be your queen. I don't have to listen to you. Last, when it was almost morning, she passed an old man with his head under his arm. But rather than stop and greet him and make sure he was okay, which would be the proper way to show respect to an elder in that culture, Manyara rushed past, thinking, a queen only greets those she wants to greet. In the morning, when the villagers discovered that Manyara had gone on ahead, they decided there was nothing to do 
but to start the journey as planned. Nyasha was nervous, but excited to see all the wonderful plants and animals in the forest. That was as much as she expected from the journey. When she came across the boy, she exclaimed, are you out here alone? You must be hungry. And she gave him her own lunch before he even asked. When she came to the old woman and the old man, she greeted them respectfully. Finally, she arrived at the city. As she approached the palace, Manyara came running out, screaming, sister, sister, don't go in. He's not a man, he's a monster, a great snake with five heads who told me he knew all my thoughts and I was not worthy to be queen. Don't go. Yasha was frightened, but she had come all this way and she knew she needed to finish the journey. So she gathered her courage and went up to the palace. When she entered the throne room, she was surprised to see the small snake from her garden sitting on the throne. She laughed with relief and said, Little Nyoka, it's only you. I was so frightened. The snake said, I am the snake from your garden. I'm also the little boy, the old woman, and the old man you met as you traveled. And I am the king. And before her eyes, he transformed into a man. He told her that he knew she was kind and generous and everything a good queen should be. Soon after, Nyasha and the king were married, and Mufaro proudly told everyone that he had two beautiful daughters. One was the queen, and the other was a servant in the queen's household. Clearly, this is not a Christian story, just a fairy tale. And the moral of the story is pretty obvious. The importance of kindness and respect for all people but an interesting, maybe familiar theme runs through the story. The theme of status. Manyara is obsessed with the idea of being queen, and her perception of what a queen should be like drives her actions throughout. Every time she meets someone, she makes a status comparison. What is their status compared to hers? She thinks to herself, if I am queen, then I'm greater than the hungry boy in the forest, and so on. And all of this comparison about status seems to go back to how she feels she measures up to her sister, Nyasha. Yet another comparison. Everyone says nice things about Nyasha, so Manyara wants to prove that she is better than her sister, that she will be queen and her sister, a servant. While this is a fairy tale, we all know a manyara. That person who has a chip on their shoulder and something to prove. They are constantly trying to let us know that they are better, for whatever reason. Hopefully most of us aren't trapped in that painful cycle, but even if we are not that person, we can't help but make those comparisons at times, too. It could be at work. Which of us will get the promotion? Her presentation was really good, but that project I finished was a big success. 
could be parenting. Whose kids are getting better grades? Who is going to which college? It could be any number of areas. Sometimes life seems to be driven by comparisons, by status, and there is always someone who beats us on this level or that. Maybe you buy into it, maybe you don't. But even if you don't, people around you do, and you have to deal with it. Either way, it can be exhausting. It is divisive and poisonous, just like it poisoned Manyara's heart and turned her against her sister. If life now has status issues, life in the world, in the ancient world, was no less status-driven. There were all sorts of levels to society. Were you a slave or a free person? Were you a Roman citizen or not? Were you a man or a woman? Adult or child? All of these had drastic implications for your life. They dictated what you were allowed to do, what rights you had, if any, how you interacted with others, and so on. While we might hope that the church would have stood out as entirely different right from the beginning, the early church was still figuring out how to work out these things. And they had their own status concerns. Were you in or were you out? And how did you know? Remember, the first believers were Jews, and then Gentiles started coming to faith. Christianity was built on and grew out of the Jewish faith. The Jews were used to having innumerable markers that they were different, from their clothes to their food to their bodies. When you came to Judaism, you knew without a doubt whether you were in or you were out. But now with the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, how much still applied? Gentiles were invited in. The Holy Spirit had been poured out on them too. How did you know your status if you were in or out? Did the old markers still matter at all? Some of the Jewish Christians wanted to be generous, to include the Gentiles. So they came up with what they thought was a really good compromise. Maybe the whole Mosaic law with all of its over 600 commandments didn't apply. That would be a lot to ask of converts. But just the Abrahamic covenant. If you wanted the status of being in, all you had to do was circumcise all your men and boys. It made sense to them. Paul, in typical Paul fashion, busts up that idea pretty quickly. He says, You've been misunderstanding the purpose of the law, of all these rules and regulations. The law was our guardian, but it was also our disciplinarian. We were imprisoned. Now we have been justified by faith. Now we are free in Christ. What does that mean? All of these questions of status get thrown out. If you are baptized in Christ, you are clothed in Christ. You are all one in Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. 
It's not that these things vanish. <laughs> Becoming a Christian doesn't magically make you free or a slave, doesn't change or erase your ethnicity, and it definitely doesn't change your gender. It is that the status differences conveyed by these things no longer apply. It was like the Galatian Christians were saying, we've got to find you some way of having the in status. I know the Abrahamic covenant, circumcision. And Paul responds by saying, you want the Abrahamic covenant? Okay, you've got it, but not because of circumcision. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, not because of circumcision, heirs according to the promise, offspring by faith. You are in the covenant by faith. There's no physical state that gives you that in status. Nowadays, circumcision isn't that big of a deal in the church, but the implications of what Paul is saying, they still matter. And they will never stop mattering until the end of time. Because what this means is you are free. In Christ, you are free from comparison. You are free from status questions. So those moments when you look at the people around you, you find yourself wondering who's got it better, or who is the better person, or who really deserves the attention. You wonder if you do or you feel like others don't. In that moment, the gospel frees you from the exhausting mental hamster wheel of comparison. Remember, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single human being stands on equal footing before God. This gospel is the great leveler. Comparisons and questions of status are out. We all have the lowest status. There is no room for pride. There is no point in comparison. But it doesn't stop there. You know those other questions that nag at you, that gnaw at the corners of your mind, especially when you're hungry or tired? Am I enough? Do I measure up? Also a moot point. We already know as sinners, we don't measure up. But the Bible says, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. When we are in Christ, we have the highest possible status there is, children of God. So you see, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. The gospel has set you free from comparison and from status. You don't have to pretend anything, and you don't have to be afraid. When those comparisons sneak up on you, just remember the gospel. We are all sinners, the great leveler, the lowest status. And we are the adopted children of God. We all have the lowest status through our own merit, 
And we Christians all have the highest status through no merit of our own, but only through the grace of God. You know, there's one experience I have had that gave me a sense of how beautifully liberating this freedom from status and comparison really is. When I was studying counseling, I was required to attend an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting as part of my training. I was a bit nervous going in. I can be pretty shy, especially in unfamiliar social situations, and I didn't know what to expect. It was probably five years ago now, and I don't have a great long-term memory, but I still remember walking out of that meeting in awe, because there was no pretending in there. There was no trying to prove anything. If you know anything about the AA, you know that everyone goes around at the start of a meeting and introduces themselves as an alcoholic. There is no pretense. There are no masks. Everyone knew and openly acknowledged their brokenness. And it was the warmest, most peaceful, most accepting place I have ever been. And I've gone to church my whole life. I don't even know how to describe it. I wish I could put it in words. We, the people of God, have so much offer the world. The gospel has given us so much, and there is no end to its riches. The more we share them, the more we find. Can you imagine if we shared that freedom from status, that freedom from comparison, that freedom I felt so keenly in the AA meeting? Can you imagine if we fully lived into that freedom we've been given. To be honest, I'm not sure my imagination is good enough because I think the joy of that freedom would completely change our lives. I can't imagine it. But oh, do I ever look forward to finding out. Let's live into the freedom God has given us. Thanks again for listening. To find out more about what's going on here at Grace Church, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, on our website, graceocala.org, or, of course, on our campus here in sunny Ocala, Florida. Go in peace.